Hey, this is exact change. Just the right amount of overthinking. Here today with Roberto. Hey, I'm here as Claire. Hi. <laughs> um, we are going to start it off as as per usual with a couple places to donate to and to check out the work of and then we're gonna do a little check-in and then uh there will be an interview between me and poet zoe tuck who i spoke to last week which was her birthday week so when you hear us talking about that it's not this week it was last week and we do wish her a happy birthday um (laughs) who are you thinking about donations for this week roberto i've been thinking about um this organization called black and pink and they're a national um organization with uh chapters throughout the country and they are um, an organization dedicated to dismantling um, the industrial prison complex um, especially with respect to um, the harms it's caused to LGBTQ plus um, folks um, and POC slash, um, especially black incarcerated people. And uh, yeah, they have really strong presence throughout the country. You can um, donate to them through their website at blackandpink.org. Um, and then there's a, there's a big donate button. And it also lists some of the ways that your support um helps the organization itself um which yeah i'm not i'm not gonna go into (laughs) but you can read it how about you what are you thinking about claire um i heard about this this residency an organization called activation residency which is in upstate new york and it's run by black trans people and they serve um, black artists and organizers. And right now they're doing a cool thing where um, they're providing like retreat spaces for activists and organizers on like a nomination basis. So if there's a really active organizer in your community who may need just like a weekend of restorative rest, um, you can nominate them at activationresidency.com. And they are also involved with work that's sort of like um, reparations-based redistribution of funds um, for Black and queer people with land ownership and farming goals so they're doing some cool stuff and we'll link to that and black and pink in our show notes yay so (laughs) (laughs) what's up 
Oh my gosh. What? Just so our that? listeners know, <laughs> things have not been cute <laughs> for us. It has <laughs> been a, a low point. I feel really like low. I have a tension headache from crying <laughs> so much in the last. I'm week. sorry for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> But my only response to depression is to laugh at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you have a headache about? Are you going to answer why you have a headache if I answer why I have a headache? Um, (laughs) Sure. In in cryptic, vague terms. Absolutely. I actually... Well, no, I've been... um, just so everyone knows why I didn't talk to Zoe, it's, I was really, really, really sick the past week, and I thought I had coronavirus, which I don't. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I... We had a scare. It's hard to say. I didn't, I didn't really think I had it. I was just kind of like, what else is it? But I mean, I've been having really bad migraines all summer um, anyway, and that was just like... It just, I was just like, what if, what if it's that bad? But um, I, it turns out I'm okay. It's, I'm viable, viably going to live. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're going to make it, and, but it hasn't, hasn't been an easy road. No, I've just been sleeping a lot. Um, yeah, I don't really have a headache right now. Um, although I did I did sleep until um, like 4.30 p.m. when I was, when I realized that I have to turn in um, my syllabus for my class tomorrow. And like, yeah, so I've been working on that. Um, I guess that's like kind of giving me a headache because I really am not enjoying looking at my computer right now. Um, What else? Uh, You know, just like the usual, existential dread like why am i here i.e on this planet sort of dread (laughs) yeah Um, you got a good poem out of it this week though yeah yeah it's true stuck and depressed yeah i want to channel it into writing my like into writing working on my novel again um because i haven't done that for a couple weeks but i'm just like Everything feels so horrible. <laughs> yeah. I What's up with you? Not. Well, I haven't been writing. I've been in something of a. Hmm. <laughs> like a destructive. <laughs> tailspin of of sorrow so Mm -hmm. I too am gonna make it I just the last few days have been a bit of a wash and I am I'm going about things like a little bit aimlessly and gently yeah and i else can you do it (laughs) totally 
I've been trying to do laundry today and my neighbor always has laundry in the washer and or dryer so that's been happening too what is giving you joy i mean not really joy but what is <laughs> i mean uh you know like what is keeping you afloat in these turbulent times um I just discovered a really incredible park that I can't believe it's in Providence. It's like, it's called Roger Williams Park. And it's sort of like, it has like Disneyland energy because Whoa. it has like, has like a rose garden. It has a carousel. It has swan boats. That sounds on so water. fun. It has like a thing called the temple to music that right now is just like this huge empty marble structure that looks really grand mm -hmm. and um it had it had this one thing repeated in it this like piece of graffiti and i wish i could remember what it said but yeah i've gone there I went there for the first time yesterday and I went there for the second time today and it was a good call both times. Um, and yeah. And then I also, when I'm feeling like really sad, I lean really heavy on like talk radio and podcasts and yeah. like weird, like long YouTube interviews. And I just like keep, the, <laughs> keep, keep it on <laughs> what have you been who have you been listening to um <laughs> i don't know if i can reveal my okay the interviews that i watch they're kind of embarrassing right. i have a All couple right. comfort people and i i don't know if i want to you tell can you. tell me off the record <laughs> i'll tell you off the record <laughs> two specific ladies who soothe me <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great honestly yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've been um, drinking so much soda. <laughs> Ooh, what kind? <laughs> like um, the sweet Pellegrino drinks. Ooh, like yeah. the fruity Pellegrino. What's your I favorite really like, flavor? Right now I'm really into Clementine. Oh, fuck yeah. It's so good. Um, I also really like passion fruit. But mm. I've also been drinking lots of Diet Coke. Like no not even diet coke zero i've been <laughs> lots of that i've been um eating lots of candy like right now I'm, I'm right now i'm um eating this bag of haribos um like star mix which is just all their female all their um famous uh gummy variation it's oh a variety my god pack. you were just holding you were just holding one of their coke bottle ones yeah um i know they remind me of a time when i was like happier <laughs> yeah <laughs> they remind me of like california yeah and living in in oakland and stuff I got these great individually wrapped gummy mango candies Ooh, yum I've had those. I like them. They're good. I've also been eating lots of cough drops. Like my, um, at some point my bed and my living room was just sort of uh, a mound of cough drop wrappers. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been, I've been journaling a bit. I've been watching lots of movies. Oh, me too. Like, what have you watched? Um, I've been watching like, um, Go Dark films that I watched a long time ago. Cool. And like some Luis Buñuel movies. Like I saw The Phantom of Liberty and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie and all those. I call it his pretty, all his famous ones, which I love. Um, they're really funny and weird. Um, and I watched this movie last night called The Nun. It's by Jacques Rivette. It's from like 1962 maybe or something like that, but it's like Anna Karina mm. um, as this sort of girl whose family um, can't afford her dowry for different reasons. Um, so they commit her into the convent against her will. Ooh. And it's just sort of about how like fucked up her life is <laughs> as a nun who like does not want to be a nun. Relatable. I know. That's really good. You were supposed to be moving this week too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? It's gonna happen. Um it's gonna happen. I'm just um I'm just chilling for a sec in solitude. <laughs> I'm not even like oh no, I'm probably was never even contagious to begin with, but better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, my my place is waiting for me. And um I'll be good to go very soon. <laughs> to my my new room so you have to keep paying rent in the spot that you're in right now no oh cool not exactly cool (laughs) how about you what's new um what's new in the home life now i'm just like eating gummies into the me too (laughs) into the microphone (laughs) um I've been like watching watching some things too. Some Agnes Varda rewatched Vagabond. I love that movie. Oh. Sandrine Bonaire. Sandrine, I love her so much. She's kind of my my crush right now. So <laughs> I've been watching all her movies. Um and I don't know. I'm I'm going to be seeing some family coming up. So I'm doing like a little bit of packing, a little bit of passive packing. Oh, right. When you're, going to, when you're going to Michigan? Mm-hmm. Which seems a little bit crazy, but I'm going to be really careful. And yeah, I have to like get an oil change. I have to like do some things. I've And I think I have to do it all tomorrow. I was going to do it today Uh, or tomorrow, but I didn't do it today. So. Sometimes I'm like, how can you do anything on a day? (laughs) I don't remember. I don't know how. I think about like when I used to keep to-do lists. I'm like, how did I do that? I can't even like tie my shoes. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) 
I can't even do laundry. I can't even wake up at a reasonable hour. Yeah. I can't even, like, make a coherent meal. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you cannot. Wow. Nothing makes sense. It really doesn't. I'm, like, still, I don't know. I, I feel like... um. I keep thinking about like how love is never really over <laughs> and like blah 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 and how we make how we do the same <laughs> thing over and over again and we don't fucking learn <laughs> I we find the same ways to hurt ourselves and make it worse for ourselves each time and I others. keep getting I keep getting these insane um, out-of-pocket uh, notifications from CoStar that have nothing to do with my actual, uh, like, forecast for the day. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, the other day I had one that said, the virus isn't a metaphor. Today I got one that said, you're long overdue for a love letter. Um, all the love songs on the radio sound like they're about you. <laughs> oh like, my what? god, Toastar. Chill. I was like, leave me alone. Yeah, it sounds like Coastar's like bullying you. <laughs> oh my god. Co- they don't know that I'm like crying at night at like <laughs> <laughs> Coastar's pushing you over the edge. I'm like crying at night, crying myself to sleep about like my previous relationships <laughs> my previous loves <laughs> that I can't can't move on from for some reason um yeah life isn't fair <laughs> I I go in and out of this like realization of feeling like whatever like I'm hot and smart and funny a little depressed and a little crazy, but like it gives character. But then I also, from that to like, you're like just another mediocre piece of shit. And like, you're plain looking, you used to dress well and now you're a slob. (laughs) And even then, no one cared. (laughs) You're superficial. (laughs) You talk like a valley girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right, like, does it even matter how much effort you put in when the results are the same? I just feel, like, so selfish sometimes yeah me too (laughs) and I feel yeah what do you want more than anything right now Hmm. I don't know I was like uh to like Oh, I I don't even know. I feel like a little bit 
dislocated from my desires or something. Mm -hmm. That's not a great place to be. (laughs) Yeah, I want to just like feel a little bit grounded and feel like I can focus again. I want to make stuff. I want to be writing right now and I'm really not able to do that. Oh, which reminds me for all you people who are writing out there, Fence Mag is open for submissions through the 30th of July. And they're awesome. And you should submit your best work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, but someone else can. <laughs> <laughs> you should submit your poem. You should Maybe. I have, yeah, I have a couple other ones. I just like, re- I revised a poem yesterday. Also. Yeah. Um, I really need to work on some short stories that I never finished last semester. I have like a huge folder of unfinished short stories. It's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but every time I sit down to look at them, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I made all this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. I like would love to be. I know this is. Um, I would love to just like savor happiness. You know, mm. just like a tiny morsel of happiness. But that's not even true. I don't. Maybe that's not really it because it's not like I'm not. Like, I haven't experienced happiness. I don't know. I would lo- actually, I would love to feel motivated. Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, motivation is a hard, it's hard to come by these days. But when you experience happiness, do you feel like you kind of sabotage it because you know it's going to end or you can't, like, be present for it? No, I, well, um, I think sometimes I can feel happiness, but never, like, never experience the full extent to which I could be happy because there's always something else on my mind that um, kind of, lessens it or whatever so um I don't know I think for a while like I've just been feeling like how can I be happy when like I um I'm still like deeply depressed about like a breakup that happened a long time ago (laughs) and like um like will I ever be as happy as I was before when I was in love or whatever um and the world seemed like a place that that was hospitable to me (laughs) Uh, but yeah I mean I also like really I keep putting a lot of things on like 
being broken up with and stuff which is like not even that recent like this is old 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 <laughs> it hasn't been a year baby uh and even it's in forever. a year i'm gonna be like even in a year i'm gonna be like why does it feel like it was yesterday it's gonna be <laughs> so uh, a year is gonna be so hard i'm already dreading it and it's gonna be my birthday oh my god it's gonna be thanksgiving and i'm gonna be like it, it hasn't gone better. Things aren't getting better for me. <laughs> Although I am, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm very, I know that um, I'm about to step into my power any day now. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of these days. <laughs> one of these days I'm going to wake up and be like, I'm ready to be happy. <laughs> Yeah, you're just gonna like bounce out of bed, 7 a.m., edit your stories. <laughs> Good day. It's gonna be, I'm gonna finish my novel. I keep having like visions of finishing my novel. What do they look like? I'm like, it's gonna feel so good. Yeah. Um, in my vision, I'm like writing the last page. And then, and I already know, like, the last words have already, like, been in my, actually, no, my, my last step in writing my novel will be to rewrite the beginning, um, will be to rewrite the first chapter and to, like, write, like, a little, a pretty lyrical little intro. Mm, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, which is, yeah, swimming a little bit in my mind right now. But, yeah, I'm going to sit at my computer. It's going to be, like, really early in the morning. I'm going to finish, I'm going to smoke weed, I'm going to take a picture and put it on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) and declare to the world that today is the day I finished my novel. (laughs) And maybe Um, I'll start a Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I think that visualizing the day is, is really good. Yeah. Keep doing that. (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait to see the post. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I think I have to like I think I'm in like uh I think once I finish a draft of my novella, I'm going to maybe maybe rewrite Start it. tweeting. Start tweeting <laughs> constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be my first and only novella, and the rest will be tweets. <laughs> or maybe um, your your character starts tweeting. Oh God! <laughs> no, she would never. She would never. Oh my gosh! Do you use Twitter at all? No, I never have, but I'd like to. I think I'm slacking. But I'm not. I don't know. It's, I think it's, I don't know. It's a dark world. Yeah. It's hostile to, um, to life. Yeah. It sounds. (laughs) It's not, it's inhospitable. Yeah. (laughs) To happiness (laughs) and personal fulfillment. Totally. But I do really, I love, um, Melissa Broder's. Twitter, I don't know if you know her. She's like a writer and poet. She's really great. 
She has her, she's famous for her Twitter so sad today, but I really like her personal Twitter also. Cool. Um, she posted this tweet on <laughs> so sad today that was like, dear God, if you're an omnipotent and benevolent force, please help me stop tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> I want... I feel like if I, I want that Twitter energy, <laughs> you can't stop. You can't stop. You're like, that's a tweet. That's a tweet. That's a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> she has all kinds of absurd ones that are like, sometimes not really funny and sometimes really funny and just like on the nose. It's hit or miss. I love that. But when you tweet like four times a day, that's like, you're not going to always be tweeting well. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Would you ever date someone who's very active on Twitter? <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like yes, but I think it would cause tension. I'd be like, <laughs> "Are you tweeting right now? Are you are you tweeting right now?" <laughs> Put your phone down. <laughs> They'd be like, "Can I use that?" Would you just say, "Can I put that on Twitter?" <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I would def date a tweeter. Would you date someone who got canceled on Twitter? Probably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Only because I know that I would probably get canceled on Twitter at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sooner or later. Definitely. First saying, like, of course, my ridiculous things about, like, incest and like Nabokov and <laughs> yeah you know controversial topics that I can't stay away from <laughs> although yeah I haven't been posting anything on anything because I'm like don't want people to see me I'm in hiding yeah. <laughs> not only because I've been ill but because I am mentally ill right now <laughs> That's um, real. Sometimes you gotta go under the rock. It's like, um, yeah, remember in Mean Girls when <laughs> when <laughs> that guy Damien is is gonna sing Beautiful by Christina Aguilera and he says like, don't look at me. <laughs> in the very <laughs> beginning. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. What's the equivalent, like, what are you singing? If you were that, in that scene right now, what would you be singing? Um, the first song that came to my head was I'm Every Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Oh, my gosh. You know what I spent the whole morning listening to? What? <laughs> Maroon 5's album, Songs for Jane. No, you didn't. Is that the one with There Will Be Love? Yeah. Fuck that album. Devastating album. Yeah, I hadn't listened to it in years, and I was like, "Whoa." Um, Whoa. do you remember that guy, uh, James? Something, James, something. He did that song like "You Are Beautiful." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What the fuck James, was his name? James Blake. James Blake no, James is Blunt. like the James Blake. James Blake. I always do something. Yeah. No, James Blake is that pretty, pretty voice boy. Yeah, he's always being sampled. 
Yeah. And has that cover of the Joni Mitchell song. Yeah. I remember having sex to a James Blake album one song, or James Blake album once. <laughs> Have you college. ever had sex to You're Beautiful by James Blunt, though? <laughs> um, not yet. Not yet. Aspirational. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on your grinder. <laughs> I'm not on grinder right now. That's I great. can't deal with, I can't, I can't deal with it, like, as I said, I'm not even posting on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Usually I'm an Instagram hoe. An Instagram story hoe. I miss your 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 hoe down, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was last time I was happy. <laughs> oh. When I did my Q and A. <laughs> oh, oh, the Q and A was good too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. For a while, I had it archived, and then I took it down, but I think I need to re-archive it. I think so. I think so. <laughs> it's too good not to have archived. Yeah, yeah. You gotta archive that. Don't take it down. Don't take it down. Put it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, do you think uh, we should, <laughs> our listeners should now <laughs> listen to you and Zoe talk? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, this probably is. We've shared too, too much, as yeah, usual. <laughs> too much. Take it down. But it's good. It feels good to share. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. I don't know, Roberto. <laughs> I don't know what you gotta do. But you gotta listen. To me and Zoe. To your talk. heart. And oh, yeah. to your heart. <laughs> Definitely to your heart. Um, wishing everyone a great rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and rest of cancer season. Get your tears out. How many more days do we have? I know. Also, we, got, we like, have, we're um, one week away from the end of Mercury retrograde. Okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost over. So if you've been wondering (laughs) why your life is crappy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, COVID's wrapping up. Um, Mercury's in retrograde. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Is it? All right, so today it is just me, Claire, and I am joined by poet Zoe Tuck. Zoe is the author of Terror Matrix and Soft Investigations. She is co-curator of the But Also Reading series, and she is a former member of the editorial collectives of Timeless Infinite Light and of Hold a Journal. Um, we know each other through the Western Mass literary scene, and it just so happens that she is a Cancer, and her birthday is tomorrow. Um, and today we'll be discussing um, a few things, but in part, the book of Bella, which is an ongoing project. Um, part of it is published in Jubilat. Hi, Zoe. 
Hi, thanks for that introduction. Of course, thanks for being here. Um, we just had a few technical difficulties getting off the ground, but here we are. And um, will you will you read a little something to get I'll, us started? I'll I'll do the thing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So this is uh, the Book of Bella, Canta Eight, um, a fog city for our fog bodies. Aloham, and the year readies itself to be born again, or we do, draping felt over a dome to play at being born, to dramatize our coming into being, the power of origination. What do our ghosts, hmm, celebrate is perhaps the wrong word, but what is the right one? Ghost is perhaps the wrong word, but what is the one? Version, draft, mask, persona, heteronyms, the writer Fernando Pessoa called them. And I was imagining, I, Zoe, that is, the archivist, the recordius, the would-be transcriber of divine frequencies, in a reality a little too inhibited for all but the quietest ecstasis. As I was saying, I was imagining splitting a kind of ethereal bifurcation for heteronym, Adam online gives word having the same spelling as another, but with a different sound and meaning. Like if I wrote Zoe, like Zoe, but it could be pronounced Bella, as in Bella figura, as in raising up at the end in question. The question, what is beautiful? In the space between Zach and Bella, beauty was verisimilitude. Don't be cute, Zoe, say what you mean. Passing, as in passing as a woman, neither the racial version popularized by Nella Larson in her eponymous novel, nor, God help us, Rachel Dolezal, and every other figure whose racial imposture has caused people to liken transgender to transracial in the sense of cultural appropriation. So, passing as a white woman, U.S. citizen, clinging to middle class, but speak it aloud, and everything but woman is in brackets, Although, say it with me now, gender is always already racial, a component of departure, journey, and arrival, just as the concept of passing is always already spatial. Reading Sandy Stone's The Empire Strikes Back, a post-transsexual manifesto, we take as a given Jan Morris's Orientalism, at least in conundrum, for how, per stone, she constructs Casablanca as the mystical scene of her transition. But how do we read Hav, the place Morris invented? From heteronym to heterotopia, where do invented figures live? In invented lands, naturally, Hav and Renee Gladman's Ravica have something important to say. I'm hovering on the edge of it when I write as if to my friend whose beat is the lit of exile and immigration and thinking through the literal and more dangerously metaphorical displacement at the heart of the heart of being trans. Her kinship and others without intending to draws me towards a point of view, one of those non-places where thought lives, a dangerous one with jagged reefs and riptides, comparative alterities, I guess you could call it, or friendship, or just being less alone by virtue of a faculty that allows us to understand the feelings we see written on each other's faces, a kind of mutual intelligibility of loneliness or grief, despite the disparate contexts in which they emerged. Is this still a poem? 
I invented a city lost from its very founding, rewriting myself as foundling, traveling mentally by tram across the hilly, sure, why not make it hilly, landscape of Esterberg. I go there now to the extent that one can, planner for a city that only existed in one, and now two poems. Imagine, if you will, seeing in San Francisco, standing in San Francisco, and seeing a second version of it floating above like Philip Pullman's characters do when they travel far north enough to see the Aurora Borealis or Paul Willem's Cathedral of Mist or Lucas Crawford writing about the Blur Building, having longed for, lived in, longed for San Francisco. I thought that fog was the magic key, a natural smoke and mirrors to hide and disappear in as well as a medium for ephemeral architecture, which revealed by analogy the ephemerality of our embodiments. And so I dreamed, a fog city for our fog bodies. Thanks, Zoe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad we started with that one because it actually touches on a lot of the themes and concepts that I, I felt pulsing through your work, um, the work that you shared with me this weekend. Um, and I, I think that aspects of it will, will come up throughout this conversation, but to name a few that I was just hearing, um, the fog, this sense of kind of smoke and mirrors and reflective, transparent surfaces. Um, a sense of splitting, doubling, and tripling that I, I see you doing with kind of personal anecdotes as well as history and politics and song lyrics and um, engagement with other literary works. Um, and then also this kind of spatial and narrative um, uh, transit um and that also being like a a transit and um carried through the kind of uh lineage of your trans identity um and so maybe maybe where where we can start is um just kind of what what your experience is of chronology with these poems in the Book of Bella? Um, were they written in order? And um, kind of how how does it continue? I know it's a continuing project. Yeah. Um, so this is this is sort of something that I've meant to do for a long time. I think probably from when I first encountered um, Alice Notley's The Scent of Alette and, and, you know, had that realization like, oh, you can still, you can still write an epic. <laughs> um, although I think actually having written a, a bunch of books for, to this, um, in this project, uh, I might not be writing an epic exactly. Um, or it might be another kind of postmodern epic. Um, oh, chronology, you were saying? Yes, I wrote, I've written the sections of it sequentially. Um, 
just to talk about like being a poet and making a living, it, it also coincided with me uh, leaving grad school. And I also saw other writers being on things like Patreon. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe instead of writing these and then sending them out to random journals, I'll, you know, try to have a subscription series. So I've just, I put out one, one book a month of this epic um, until I reached, I think, the 13th. Um, and then I realized, I, I intended it for it, for it to be ongoing, um, but uh, I had this realization that um, it's maybe part of a triptych. So uh, the Book of Bella is one part, um, and this sort of auto-fictional thing that I've been working on for the last year or two um, is another part. And uh, this critical work that I sent you the beginning of the, the Sissy's book is like the third part. Um, and I think they all, it's like a triptych or a three ring Venn diagram. Like they're all sort of covering similar beats, um, but from different like formal perspectives, I guess. Um, so they each catch different things. Um, but maybe a few different things that that the other forms don't catch I guess does that yeah <laughs> yeah it really does I feel like in my notes I had I was drawing a lot of triangles um and it makes sense to me that this project would take um like the triptych the three sides of the triangle um especially in in thinking about like maybe something that was coming through in the notes on sissies um, was kind of a failure of linearity and like um, maybe the failure of like a, a linear narrative. Um, and so finding some different, some different approaches and different entry points to that um, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I, I think also thinking about mirrors, um, I feel like there's a sense in your work that that the 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 line isn't sufficient. Um, yeah, I wonder I wonder if you could talk about this kind of design uh, designation you make between the the pane of glass and the mirror. Okay. Yeah, where do I where do I talk about that? <laughs> you talk about that? I have the page number written down. Oh, here we go. I see it. I see it. I thought fog was the magic key, a natural smoke and mirrors to hide and disappear in. Uh, and also also on page 23, which I think is Cantus 6, hmm. um there's a discussion of um like uh I press my body lustily against the pane glass of female. Yeah, well, I think those two examples speak to two of the things that you were noticing, because one of the things, I was taking notes while you were talking, and one of the things was spatial and narrative transit. Um, 
And so that's always something I'm tracking um, because it sort of maps uneasily along to my own trajectory, like with respect to identity, you know? Um, I'm, I'm from Texas, I grew up in Texas um, in a very basic cliche way. I moved to San Francisco um, to be, to be a poet and also to be like a queer trans person. I was like, that's what you do, right? You go to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> um, what year did you move to San Francisco? I think, uh, 2008. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sorry. I just, as soon as I, you said that, and then I said 2008, I started thinking about the year 2008 and I'm like, God, what a, what a miserable year. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, feels a little familiar right now. It, yes. Yeah. Um, so in one sense, like, I think I wanted to, I saw something projected or, or maybe projected by me and projected by like at this point multiple generations of like starry-eyed hopeful people you know like something gets projected onto a place mm -hmm. um and and through the through the mirror of the actual place um that projection gets distorted and reflected back at you um you know and um I, the fog is just because I love fog. I love, <laughs> you know, I love fog. I love writers writing about fog. I actually have a, a separate standalone poem that just quotes everyone that I can find on my bookshelf that I love writing about fog, like Mei Mei Bersenbrugge or like Francis Ponge, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's one aspect of it. There's like the mirror of a city. Um, you know, the way it reflects you and the way you reflect it. Um, and then the other example that you were talking about with the like pressing my body lustily against the glass um, has to do with, you know, I really came to like feel trans, especially and specifically during puberty um and that was also you know going to like a co-ed school for the first time after having gone to uh, like a single sex <laughs> school uh for for many years um and i think that in addition to just being like the usual like fumblings through like hormones and figuring out romance and love and sex and what it all means I think there was also a way in which for me that was like a kind of study. Um, so it's not just like, and I think this is, this is a queer thing too. It's not like uniquely a trans thing, but the sort of like, um, do I want you or do I want to be you? <laughs> um, and what if it's both? Um, so I think that's a thing too. And it's not, I think it's something that took me years to realize, um, that I had been doing. I hadn't really been doing it consciously, but I think, you know, doing this writing, you know, you write things and you figure, you figure things out about yourself. And I, one of the things I've figured out over the past couple of years is, um, is that like love and female friendship have been a kind of study in that way.
Cool. Um, I'm curious how your kind of like what what spaces or or what um, what the difference in process is when you're writing in these different genres um, or uh, I don't know I'm I'm excited by how you're including them all into the same project or like letting them live side by side and I wonder if you kind of shift between or if you're working on them continually um what that looks like like process wise yeah yeah i mean until uh the pandemic hit um there was one day a week that i dedicated to this thing that i kept calling the novel um <laughs> which i did not send to you because it will require uh extreme editing and obfuscation um before it, it reaches the world and that one is a lot of like gossipy stuff um and it's only fiction in the sense that everyone has a pseudonym <laughs> um uh but yeah i tend to i think i'm a person i don't know like i have friends who are advocates of the like mono focus like start a project let it be your everything do it till it's done and i'm much more i think this is my my Gemini rising, um, <laughs> but like, I'm like, what if you have eight projects, <laughs> you do them all at once, alternating between them, three of them are seen through to completion, uh, you know, and five of them are like partially finished in your Google Drive forever. Um, yeah, but then I think I, I was actually sort of, as I was reading that uh, Kanta 8, um, I was like, oh, this isn't, is this even poetry? I'm like writing an essay here. Like, I think there's a way in which like my writing resembles my um, Corona cooking. Uh, <laughs> Say more. <laughs> it's just like, it's the same list of ingredients in different permutations. Like everything has, everything ends up having like salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder like chili powder it's just like i vary the proportions um so like the poetry ends up being like didactic and elusive and like citational um which sometimes bums me out but then at other times like the essayistic stuff will 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 be poetic and will proceed based on like sound play um and things that you would associate more uh, with poetry. So, yeah. Um, I noticed that tarot comes up uh, in your in your in both of the pieces that you sent, and um, I've been I was wondering kind of what your relationship to tarot is specifically in terms of narrative. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I love tarot. Um, I first start, you didn't ask for like, what's the story of you and tarot, but I'm gonna tell you. I would love to know the story of you and tarot. <laughs> um, I think my first deck, uh, which I actually don't have because I gave it to a friend who, who moved away, um, was the like Barbara G. Walker deck. Mm -hmm. um, 
and my first teachers were uh, someone that I was dating in high school, and uh, my like the big poetry mentor of my early years, Huawen. Um, um, and so it's always been sort of braided with like poetry and tarot have been braided and also like interpersonal relationships are in there too. Um, oh my gosh, what was the question? <laughs> oh, it was pretty broad. It was what, oh, what your relationship to tarot in terms of narrative is. Oh, if narrative. You use it as uh, alongside as like a narrative tool. Yeah. Either in your written work, but also like in your, um, in your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, God, it's been, it's been definitely like almost 20 years that I've been doing tarot readings. Um, and so I've ended up using it in multiple different ways. Um, like I've used it in a pretty like structural way um, to create, I still don't know whether they're called centos or kentos or centos. Do you know? I don't know. Roberta would know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cento sounds good. Yeah. So I'll just Let's say stick that. stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've used it to, you know, assign lines from different books and, you know, shuffled the deck just as a way to, you know, do recombinancy. Um, but I also, you know, like I've seen people who, like, my maestra is Rachel Pollock, or one of them is, um, and uh, she has a book of short stories uh, written through the, the tarot. I want to say it's called like the tarot of perfection. Hmm. Um, and so I do think there's something to it, especially because, you know, if you're not using something like the Marseille deck where it's a little abstract and mathematical for me, but like, I, you know, I'm a sucker for pictures. Um, so, you know, I really think of it as like an unbound book um and you know the cards can be like characters or settings um that at this point have become really familiar but i always something in the recombinance has always like taught me something um yeah and it's also i i've sort of become a little bit of a lazy tarot reader but my partner um made a project of uh, creating like a poetical guide to the tarot and and they're doing like one poem for each card anyway so like yeah their use of it also influences my use of it um yeah um in you mentioned gossip in your novel and um I was, I guess I maybe have a similar question about gossip if you think it has potential as like a, a narrative tool. Gossip? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, it always, uh, it, I don't know. I don't, 
I'm not enough of like a literary historian to really make this claim. Um, make it. <laughs> but I'll make it. Yeah, I feel like it's actually traditional. Like I feel like it's very traditional in novels to have someone overhear something, you know, or like everyone's telling the vicar their secrets. Right, or to misinterpret something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's useful in that way. And I say gossip like part pejoratively and like part respectfully. Like I actually think gossip's great. I think, I forget who said this, but it like, it feels like a conversational meme that has circulated among some of my friends that like gossip is like, uh, like a, the life-saving exchange of information, you know? Um, like it's a way, it's like, it's a feminist strategy um, to be like, oh, this person, like watch out for them, <laughs> you know? Um, so in that way, I can never be fully like anti-gossip. And I think it, it has like a useful, like it's not just, um, you know, there to be tawdry or like air out my secrets or air out other people's secrets. Like I feel like it serves, it serves a purpose. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember actually hearing, um, I don't know if it was, in I don't know if it was in Caliban and the Witch but I think the root of gossip is um used to mean just conversations between women mm. and that it was that was seen as so threatening that it was it became this kind of like um outlawed or dangerous thing but originally was just like um a different uh, current of information um, passed kind of from person to person. Um, but I think I've just been thinking some about gossip during COVID because there's a sense that things are kind of, there's not a lot of gossip right it's now. Terrible. <laughs> I know, I notice it. Terrible. I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess um, maybe that that leads to another question, which is just like how have how have you been doing, and how have you been doing um, in terms of your writing practice without a lot of the the normal input and like uh, spaces that may be part of that under different circumstances. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In some ways, I think it might still be too soon to tell. Um, you know, I've definitely been on the Rona coaster, as people call it. Um, you know, and I have, I, I guess that's one thing that's happened. Uh, by the point we're at now, I, you know, we all have enough experience with it. Like, at first, you know, I would sort of exist from day to day and one day I, I, I would wake up fully anxious and not able to concentrate and then another day I wouldn't and you know at a certain point you you start to notice the pattern that's happening and you you know can maybe get a little bit more disciplined about using your using your good days um 
I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, one way that it's affected me, I feel like I, I've actually been really lucky, knock on wood, um, in terms of, uh, you know, my family and, and, and close circle of friends um, being pretty healthy. Um, but um, I guess, well, I don't know if this is, this isn't so much like COVID as also the uprising <laughs> that's happening. Um, but one thing that's shifted for me is that uh, the input has changed in the sense that like I'm finding myself in a lot more uh, I mean well they're all kind of non-spaces because it's all in in zoom <laughs> but I'm in the non-spaces I'm finding myself in more like activist or political non-spaces than literary non-spaces mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's got to be doing something. I don't know what it's doing, but it's, it's happening. Um. Yeah. Um, what, what have the last month and a half looked like um, in Western Mass in what you've seen or been a part of um, in terms of uh, the current Black Lives Matter movement? Um, well, a little bit, it's made me feel more connected to this place. Um, you know, because I think, um, you know, I moved here, uh, in 2016 and, you know, this is like the Trump election. Uh, I'm sorry I said his name. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I was, I think I was expecting, I was very conditioned by Oakland, um, where I lived like immediately before, and I was ready. I was like, okay, now, you know, what I've learned from the past few years is that now we go out and completely shut down the highway and, you know, create a big ruckus. And, um, you know, there were ruckuses you know, maybe in like Springfield or Boston, but the only thing I could find here was like a vigil in a, in the Unitarian church. And I was like, okay, this is very, this is very different than what I'm used to. Um, and so one of the things that's happened over the past month or so has been, I'm like the kind of protests that I recognize. <laughs> um, and actually like shutting down streets and, you know, marching to the houses of city councilors to try to get them to defund the police. Um, and there's, yeah, there's something about like having lived here for four years, which is not that long in the grand scheme of things, but, um, you know, it's a totally novel thing for me to have marched in these streets. Um, and, yeah, it's made me feel really like grounded here and really connected. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's been a thing. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, I'm new to Providence. And so um, I feel like I've been sort of one one gaze towards Western Mass and seeing what's happening there and seeing a lot of people who have been kind of like uh, doing organizing work just really um, 
jumping into action and it's it's exciting to see and I'm also trying to kind of like get my feet on the ground here and and get a sense of the landscape and um that's also exciting so yeah yeah I'm I'm, I'm glad to one. see it yeah it takes time I think it uh it it takes time because it has been taking time and people have been doing it and so you have to kind of like um enter in uh with that awareness but um yeah it's motivating yeah um yeah well i wonder if you will read um the other the other piece we talked about um yeah and then we can can start to wrap up sounds good cool yeah so this is the other one you said was Book of Bella Canta 12, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I look at you as if through a proprietary video conferencing software. I shipped Bella and the Future. That was my headcanon. My old friend Gaston calls them his plant babies. He is baking bread and writing about the phenomenology of it for art for him. Gaston said to me, you know why you will never have a thick, perfect bound book like me, Zoe? Why, I asked, because of your unwillingness to dominate. I nodded. He continued, and in your haste you err. You want the deep image? Go to the woods and learn how to wait. Well, you can bet I went to the woods that very day, in fact. I saw a tree with a hollowed out trunk. I wore my mask. I itched everywhere, but especially around my mouth. The tree's hollow was filled with candle wax and small totems, plastic gnomes and such. I needed to pee. No one was with me. I was wearing my headphones, sweating under them, listening to a percussion piece by Steve Reich. It was orderly, as if all the twigs of the woods that bordered the meadows, which I called the bottoms, had been arranged according to size and shape, whether they forked, the hardness of the wood, dry and brittle, or green wood, or in the wet, active process of returning to dirt. Behind the hollow's decor was the memory of walking in these woods with my friend A. What did they think of me? I had skipped two meetings of our community organizing group, all I wanted to do was take walks, but suddenly my heel, which had never given me any trouble, trouble, even in my active career as a runner, ached faintly while my blood pumped and endorphins flowed. But then I would go home and sit. And when I got up, <clears throat> I would truly begin hobbling. I listened to an astrology podcast in which the host explained which was the house of significant relationships. Intimacy, I sub-vocalized, thinking of Gaston. Behind the candle wax and the gnomes, the trunk's dark inner surface stained with shadow. What a writer might liken to the velvet lining of a dandy's jacket. The intimacy of arch friends and arch rivals, the seventh house, my rivals, my formers, my exes, my nemeses, my weakness for retrospection, which was not always that much maligned quality, nostalgia, nor was it, I'd like to think, the kind of fetishism of the archaic that opens itself up so eagerly to fascism. We must look both ways when we cross the street until there are no cars and no streets. 
back of the arboreal altar on which I spill many more words than I took breaths in its proximity was my thinking about the dark maid Lilith who made her home in Inanna's hulupu tree. And while Gilgamesh was striking the serpent who could not be charmed, saw which way the wind was blowing and smashed her own home, fleeing to the wild uninhabited places. Moments before, I imagine, she would be made to flee them. As a child, when we would drive over a river and I'd see a tiny island, I would imagine going to ground there, hiding, making a new life in secret. I still have this feeling when I pass river islands, edge lands, in my route, a kind of warm buzzing. When I cannot be seen from above the maze of tall grass in the meadow in early summer, once I stopped with E, we delved into a corn maze, but I was afraid of getting lost. And just outside the maze was some kind of company picnic. We weren't supposed to be there, but no one is supposed to live in the edgelands. Lilith, Robin Hood, survivalist children's lit like my side of the mountain or hatchet. Tease the Robinson Crusoe colonialism out of the fantasy, can you? People are buried under the hill, and that is also where the fairies live. What does this have to do with the story of the self that you almost became? In a broken world, the storyteller must have the latitude to dissemble, to assemble and dissemble. I wanted to say the tesserae, but finding that that means something like a die, square because related to the word for four, stable like a table, like people have erroneously assumed identity to be, a chit from chitras marked like a cheetah, what was I meant to be doing? Daydreaming? That would be on brand for Gaston. To take flight like an Anzu bird or one of the innumerable robins of spring. I was sick of the dumb robins and, and the stupid squirrels. I longed to find fumets and chase a dragon. I didn't want the quiet, ordinary magic of the phenomenal world. I wanted to come at time and space like scissors spread wide, to cut the tape that binds the flaps of the box that might, until the moment we look inside, contain a longed for present, love's proxy. So of course, what I received was as much quiet, ordinary magic as I could handle. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow, I, I just noticed so much how you have these like very vivid descriptions of place side by side with these kind of impeccable literary notes. Um, it makes me wonder about your, your note taking process and where you keep all these like scraps. Um, but I also, that, that poem made me think about memory and in Notes on Sissies, you also talk about this kind of relationship between nostalgia um, and that the kind of like connection between nostalgia and bigotry. Um, and I, I wonder about, yeah, the, the line, the, the weakness for retrospection um, and how to look back um, without idealizing a past, um, which I feel is like, especially important in this moment and in a time when we're living in a lot of memory. Um, yeah, 
that's not really a question, but if you have any thoughts about that, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's one of my big struggles because I feel um, just as a person, I mean, within the spiritual calling, which is poetry, <laughs> I feel like one of the particularities of that calling for me is, is to look back. Um, and I also feel very acutely aware of its dangers. Um, and yeah, if it's not really a question, I also have a not really answer, <laughs> which is like, I think it's just one of my life struggles to oscillate between those things. Like, you know, longing. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I have a deep longing for something behind me um, and a deep suspicion of that longing. And like, between those things, there's me. Uh, yeah. That's... So but I, I, in terms of the, like the references and things like that, like I, you know, I read a lot. <laughs> I collect things, um, but I also, you know, I collect people who seem similarly afflicted. Um, like that, that section that I just read, um, I'm, I'm first naming Bachelard, Gaston Bachelard. <laughs> um, and, you know, but like a lot of my thinking about nostalgia has been influenced by people like Svetlana Boym, who has a great book about nostalgia, or, you know, uh, like Susan Stewart's On Longing, stuff like that. Cool. Um, yeah, beautifully said. I, uh, I guess my my last thought is just um, if you want to speak at all about what you're working on right now, what you're working on currently. Yeah, well, after after writing or trying to write like the thirteenth section of of that of the book of Bella, I pivoted over to this book about um, sissies, um, and it is what am i trying to do in that <laughs> i think i think i'm trying to to reveal some other itineraries for gender <laughs> um than the templates that we have um you know, because I mean, and it's all very like personal and self-serving, right? Because I'm definitely like, I'm as a trans person, I'm not one of those people who, you know, knew from birth and was irrepre irrepressibly high femme the whole time. Um, but nonetheless, I'm like, I, you know, I found myself wondering like, you know, even if I am a person who definitely was a boy, who became a woman <laughs> um you know there was was there something there can i write a trans prehistory that includes boyhood um and so i think yeah i'm i'm trying to i feel like normally the trajectory that gets traced is from i mean in terms of like what the link is between childhood genders and adult genders. It's like sissy to um, kind of femme, cisque man. Um, and I think I'm just letting myself like 
linger in that space and be like, well, what if, what if sometimes sissy leads to trans woman or what if, you know, sickly leads there? Um, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm doing research right now for a chapter that I want to call, uh, Rilke is a trans woman. Uh, <laughs> I want to claim Rilke. <laughs> Um, in the, like a really response, I mean, part of it is just like me being a little cheeky because um, one of the like scholarly trends, I feel like, of, of the contemporary era is um, to be very careful with the past and to not make any claims about, you know, to not project contemporary identities onto the past. Um, so there's a part of me that wants to take this like super canonical figure um and say maybe yeah maybe Rilke was trans <laughs> and 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 I I feel like by picking someone so canonical I also won't do any damage to his reputation you know um so it feels like a safe low stakes experiment for me I guess absolutely um final question do you have any gossip do I have any gossip? Um, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I, well, you know, whoever's listening, it's not going to be relevant. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I heard Lindsay is moving back. Um, okay, so. you heard it here. Yeah. You heard it here. Yeah, Lindsay might be moving back to Western Mass. So okay. get ready, everybody. Get ready. <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much, Zoe. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk soon. Yay. Yeah. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on here. And a thank you to Nat Harvey, who made our wonderful theme music. And Sue Han, the artist behind our content art.